All right, so let me pray and we'll get started. We're in Ezra. We're going to go through um, chapters 3 through 5. So if you want to turn there, you can do that. Lord, please guide us. Uh, help us to have your joy in all of this. Um, may we be wise and, and expectant, uh, hopeful, resilient, Lord. May we represent you in this area, Lord, geographically. May we honor you as a worshiping community, and may we be centered on you and on your word, and bless us today as we dig into this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we're in Ezra, and um, the first one's up on the screen there. I'm going to slide out a little bit more so I can see what you see. Let me make sure that. Okay, so it's been... What we're trying to do as a teaching team is uh, a little bit tricky because uh, Don and Jim and I are on the teaching team. I think I should step back. What do you think? Everybody said Jim said, yeah. All right. How's that? A little better? Um, still echoey a little bit. But what we're trying to do, I'm doing the historical piece. So what, much of what I'll be doing is kind of giving the background of the story so you know what's going on. Jim's taught on Haggai twice. They're one of the active prophets. Don gave an introduction to the prophets and then doing Zechariah. So I'll teach today, then those guys will go. Um, so we're jumping back and forth because a lot of this stuff happened at the same time in these books. And I want to I want to explain it. It's a it I'll make it as brief as possible with the history, but there's a little in there that's worth digging into. This is the story that Jesus would have known. Um, it's the story of we're adopted into this body of uh, faith. Um, and we, we have a lot to gain from learning about this story. So I'll jump into it. Remember where we were. Remember I brought you guys from Babylon. It was a 900-mile walk. A lot of people, I talked about the Yabbats and the Itlbees, you know, two different groups that would be excited about coming, and the ones that would say, yeah, but what about this? Most of the Yabbats stayed back in Babylon. So these are the, the ones that wanted to walk 900 miles at least. I mean, it was a long trek to go to get here, and, and knowing that they were going to a place that had been destroyed by war years uh, earlier. So if any of you guys have seen pictures of Europe after World War II, it probably wasn't that bad, but it was that idea of you just come in and you think, oh, this is just depressing. That was a lot of the feeling that they would have coming back. So from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple had not been laid. They, they also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had been given from Cyrus, king of Persia. So they've got this mandate. They're allowed to go back and do this. They're following in accordance with what the government's allowing. But they've been there um, not long, remember? They arrived... And they were starting to get settled, and then they were called to Jerusalem. So they had traveled all this way, and then they were called very briefly afterwards to come to Jerusalem. They weren't all in Jerusalem, and they were just setting up their houses. Now they go into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is also a wreck, but they set up, and they do the Feast of Tabernacles. They built an altar. That's all they had. So it's very much in ruins, very makeshift, uh, but they did it. And then they start chipping in um, for equipment, things they'll need for the temple. And that's what you see. Um, the joy of chipping in. There's something to that. Uh, you guys have experienced that physically when you've helped on a project. We as a church are chipping in 
to to give to build this building and to keep going every week so putting it all together there's something that you're investing in it and they were investing in it they had part in it so I'll go ahead Michaela won't you turn me that, that way um, I'll be up ahead okay so it says um, you know when the builders saw laid the foundation of the temple the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So this is six months later. Okay, um, they've they passed through the winter. They did their uh, time in the fall in Jerusalem. They go back to wherever they've decided to settle. And then you'll see that in some of them skipping verses, obviously. But they come back and then um, they lay the foundation. And so starting is a challenge. You guys know, I mean, deciding to start anything is is a headache, even if it's just starting a degree in school. There's a lot of thinking, and there's not much to show for it. That's the stage that they're in. And remember, Jim talked about Haggai, and there was a psalm that, that he read from that talks about their instruments were hung on the willow tree. Remember that? And they were too sad to sing. Um, that was a despondent place that they were. But this time they sing, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. So nothing's really happened yet, but their spirit has changed. This is the same psalm that they sang when they dedicated the first temple. If you look back in 2 Chronicles, this is the same song. So they were tying into something that happened hundreds of years earlier. And it is good to sing even if you don't feel like it. And I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet you in a room this big, there are a number of you that the best you could do was just get here. And you didn't come get out of your car thinking, I can't wait to sing. But you got here, and the worship may have drawn you in, and that's what worship does. We need to be pulled out of the world that we're in, mostly in our minds, and focused on something else. So they sang, and remember, they were the ones that chose to come. There are people who decided not to come in this room today. There are people that got up when you got up, thought about it, and didn't come. They don't know what they missed in this worship time that we just had. They missed it. The people in Babylon missed it. They're back there still crying under the willow tree. At least these people were worshiping God. All right, next one, Michaela. So they do that, and then here's the, a little bit of the yeah buts show up. Um, but many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So I don't know how many people were in there. It could have been as many as a football stadium, if you guys have ever driven by something that's just somebody scores a touchdown and it's really loud. You could hear it from a long way away. So why were these first group crying? What were they crying about? Well, one of them, when they saw the footprint of the temple, they knew that it wasn't going to be very big. 
Like if this is the footprint, it's not going to be anything like the other one. They could have been crying because they're staring at it, and they remember when the temple was there, and they could walk in, and now it's gone. Why? Because of the sin of man. And they could have been crying because they could have been thinking, no matter what we do, next generation may sin, and this whole thing gets wiped out again. The futility of it all may have hit them. They could have been crying because they came all the way from Babylon thinking about something, and maybe they get there, and they're just realizing, what in the world were we thinking? This is just never going to work. We don't know. We just know that they wept when they saw it. And one of the things about getting older is you realize what's involved in completing the ideas. You know, when you're younger, there's ideas, and then older people are like, yeah, but did you think about this? Or if you do that, you know, first you're going to have to dig this out. And there is a wisdom that comes, but if our love doesn't increase with our wisdom, we become really pessimistic. Nobody tries anything. Like, well, have you thought about this? You know, well, yeah. You know, the first car, you got to, it's just, we got to watch that because it just discourages everything. There's a time for wisdom, but we are, as a culture, and I'm talking to just our congregation, and we, <laughs> I'm amazed at how Americans are, really feel like it's our gift to give advice. You know? I mean, it's just like somebody comes in and has something, and everyone descends, shoom, well, you know, I gotta tell him, he hasn't really thought about whether they're using this, or I don't know if they're doing, you know, just, we need to back off on that sometimes, because people are joyful, and they, doing it the right way or the best way is important, but it's not the only thing. So I don't know what was going on, but there's two different groups here. Some of them are just really upset. Um, the people that were shouting were probably looking at some of these people crying and going, what did you come for? Like, why did you walk all this way if you were just going to ball when you got here? You could, it just, there's different groups in there, and you can imagine them looking at each other. So the rejoicing people, they might have been saying, we are finally doing something. We're finally done talking. We've been talking. We were talking about walking here. We were talking about doing something. We got here. We are finally doing something. And they're like, yes, that's my group. My group is the group that's trying something. They could have been rejoicing because they realized that setting up a place of worship is near and dear to God's heart, and they are, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to be a part of, and they were finally there for it. They were alive to see this day. They could have been looking forward to worshiping in the temple. They could have thought, okay, um, hey, guys, uh, bring your kids in. We might sit right here. Just imagine. I know it's just a foundation, but just imagine. We'll, our, we'll be actually facing this way. This is the way we'll be facing. And they could have been looking forward, getting excited about it. All right, Michaela. Um, next up. Um, next up, we're going to move to chapter 4. So if you're following along you'll, you, in your own scripture, you'll see I'm picking some passages and then uh, moving on, uh, skipping others. So chapter 4, it talks about, um, it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to, to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. 
and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarashaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. So what I want you to think about, in this area, there are many groups of people, but I'm just going to outline three teams. You know how when you, uh, if you watch Lord of the Rings, you've got to know who the orcs are, you need the elves, and man, elves, and dwarfs, you've got to keep that straight if you want to follow the story. So you've got to do a little bit of that here. Um, three groups. One are the captives that came back, okay? They were uh, descendants of the people taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, and, and um, a couple captivities were taken but th it's that group then you have the group that was left in the land um, and then you have this group that is uh, kind of like the there'll be the Samaritans down the road so three different groups so look at it all from their perspective if you were and this is the least mentioned group really the the group that was left in the land uh, Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was to take all the educated people all the leaders and move them out of the way. So the ones that were left were the ones that were not leaders. It must have been bad to be left, but it also might have been nice because a lot of those nicer homes were abandoned. Those people are gone. So people moved into those homes, those farms, that vineyard of the rich guy next door that he used to, he's in Babylon. They dragged him out of there. They look around for a year. They go, um, hey, I'm going to take it. So they settled. They may have gotten into a pretty good pattern of life. They may have not wanted all these people coming back. There might have been some heated discussions in some of these areas where someone came back and that was their family land. or We don't know. Um, I remember about 20 years ago, someone came here and visited our farm who uh, was 10 years old when um, the Nazis exported all of her family to the concentration camps. She was on the last kinder transport to England. So she's a British accent. She was 10 when she was taken out. She was a Jew in Germany. And she had gone back to the town, and her house is still there, and the descendants of the people who took her house are living in that. Remember, and they knew each other. Because they were little kids. At the, remember, imagine what that would felt like for the people who've been living there for decades. All of a sudden, the real owner shows up of the house. Awkward and just, you know, just imagine. All, so that kind of thing could have been happening. The, the people maybe were a different subculture in the, of the group in Israel. They, they weren't the educated, potentially. So these people coming back, maybe they were different. Maybe they were people that were, they didn't want to have them come back. These were the bosses. Maybe they showed up and started telling them what to do. Maybe they didn't like it. I'm telling you all this so you can put yourself in the story. So the other group is the Samaritans. And those are the people that will become the Samaritans. Those were the ones, and he, he outlines it. Um, he says, um, we were put here by the king of Assyria. So you remember the northern kingdom, they were wiped out in 722. And the strategy of that king at that time was to pull all the people out, disperse them around, and bring new people in. So that's who came in. And they, like I said, become the Samaritans. So they kind of know about some of the, the religious practices, but they're very different. They're very, very different. All right, go ahead, Michaela. Um, so first they ask, um, you know, we want to we wanna help out. Um, and they say, no, you know, you can't, they, they don't want them to help out. And so they try to discourage them. 
Now, just so you have a picture of how it would go, um, kids, if you guys have ever gotten together a group of kids and then you're trying to decide what game to play, you're in the backyard, you got 15 kids, 16 kids, you're talking about what to play, and there's two kids that don't want to play the game. And so finally the group wins out and you're playing your game, but these two, they're going to play, but they're not really playing. And they're going to kind of wreck it so that you'll see how dumb the game is and then play the game they want. I don't know if you can relate to that. I loved playing football as a kid, as a teenager, and we'd finally get even teams, and we had this one kid that he would come, we'd put him on a team, and then about 10 minutes in, he would lay down, put his head like this, and sleep for the whole game. And it was like, wow, we had even teams. But he's trying to, he wanted to do something else. So he came, but he laid down on the field, right? So it's maddening. I'm still not over it. Um, one time, one time we got so frustrated, he was just laying like this. We knew he was awake. We put the ball on his back of his feet and used him as a kicking tee. We we're like, you're going to play one way or the other. But he would do it time after time. He would say he was in, but he wasn't really in. And so they knew that had this group of people come in, they would have helped. But if you've ever had somebody help that doesn't really want to help, it's not help. And they recognized it. So... Um, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in the building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of King Darius, king of Persia. So this Darius was uh, important for a couple reasons. One, um, he set up this, this royal road. So it was, and he had uh, apparently even uh, horse, like our uh, Pony Express, he had that set up. So news could travel real fast back and forth. He is also the one that is recorded as, as having a war with Greece that um, led to the good news of the guy running from Marathon to Athens. So our, we had Kenny Longos. Kenny in here? Where's Kenny? I know he's here. Yeah. Where are you? Oh, he's probably doing Kingdom Kids. Kenny ran the marathon yesterday, Richmond Marathon, so uh, we should be excited. Who else has run a marathon, just so we know, in our body? Raise your hand. We've got several. You guys are in a unique club. You should talk to each other afterwards. Um, but it's really impressive, people that run a marathon. This is where that came. Uh, this Darius attacked Greece, and they won, and a guy ran 26 miles or so from uh, from marathon to Athens to bring the good news. Now, it's a good thing for Kenny that the Persians didn't win because if the runner had to go back to report there, Kenny would still be running right now. At least it was only 26 miles. So they weren't going to play along, um, and then they decide, fine, you're not going to let us play? We're going to try to wreck it. So how are we going to wreck it? We're going to hire uh, counselors. So these could have been maybe lobbyists in our culture or um, litig litigators that would try to mess you up. So that's what they decided to do once they said you can't play. So they bring their big guns along, and Michaela, you can switch it over. So their big guns are coming out, and um, so God says you send your big guns, I'm sending my big guns. So their big guns are the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. Okay, these guys don't mess around. And so they come, and they prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. 
and in the name of the Lord God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At the same time, Tetanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Baznai, that's a good one, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? So this is where those prophets jump in. I'll touch a little on Haggai because Jim just did it, and he talked about the hope that they bring. And then Don and Jim are going to talk about Zechariah, so I won't do a whole bunch with them. But just see them as big guns coming in. And from the last thing I read, a couple of slides back when they started the foundation, it's been 15, 16 years. So they stopped. They, they gave in. I don't know why. It doesn't say. Maybe the people that were crying and weeping started having side conversations and people got discouraged. It can happen. It doesn't take much to discourage humans. You guys have been there. One comment, one, uh, I don't know about that. And you just sort of lose your momentum. That something happened to discourage these people. And God knew they needed the prophets to show up. So the thing with the prophets, um, well, here's some of the things Haggai said. The prophets key off of words. They say things, okay? So he has real clear pictures. Haggai comes in. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Asking him a question. Remember how I read how they all chipped in for wood and stuff? I don't know if they used that stuff to build their houses. Could have happened. I don't know. Who's left who saw the former temple? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? The prophets are honest. They call it out as they see it. I get the problem. You're thinking even if we do all this, it's going to be nothing compared to what it was. But the Lord says, work, for I am with you. I will fill this temple with glory, and the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. So the prophets come in. Prophets aren't necessarily, when you interact with them, they're not necessarily on your side. They're on God's side. It's good to get that straight. Um, the prophetic gift is one that is super powerful, but they call it as they see it. And they point out sin. They point out the sin of the people. It's not right that you're sitting in these nice houses. That's not what you came for. You came to build the temple. They call it. But they also point out the truth that God is with them. God is with you. Get up. God is with you. And then he gives some promises. He says, I'll fill this temple with glory. And the glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former. And I don't know if he was looking all the way ahead to Jesus. Because one day, there, Jesus is going to come and be at this temple. Now it's going to go through some, you know, stages of repair and change, but they're going to be building the very thing that Jesus comes when you read the Gospels or when he's 12 years old and he goes, he sits in here. That, that was the pinnacle of it. God himself is going to dwell in this temple that you think is nothing. God himself is going to come sit in there and he's going to teach in there. If you knew that, would you not get up and get going? He's, the prophets are pushing them, you know. They're, they're, they're saying, look, it's worth it. Shake it off. The world is not as you see it. You are not so smart as you think you are with your calculations and your yeah buts and all that. You don't know what the Lord is doing. Get up and work. Because as a human, 
I doubt 100 years from now we're going to look back and say, I wish I had rested a little more. We're going to look back and see what God was doing and celebrate the times that we got to be part of it. All right, Michaela, you can flip that over. Um, all right, so then um, they agree. You know, they're going to send a letter, and he does send a letter. And, and he said, we told him the names of the men who were constructing this building, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. And then a written answer uh, was returned concerning the matters. So it's give me their names. Give me their names. And if you guys want a U.S. version of this, in the Revolutionary War, you have a tie in Boston, let's just say. And then the British Army sails to New York. Our army runs away in the face of the most powerful force on the, in the history of the earth. Our guys run away. Now, it's 95 miles from New York to Philadelphia. Kenny just ran 26 yesterday, okay? And the most powerful army in the world is just walking from New York, they cross the water, walking through New Jersey to Philadelphia, and our representatives are there writing out how we're gonna have our Declaration of Independence. And they knew their, they knew their names. They were gonna be in trouble, big time. So if you want a modern example, or not modern, but our country example, that's what it was like. They had to continue while they were about to get punished. If you guys have ever been in school and you knew you were gonna get called to the principal's office to get yelled at and you're just waiting, it's awful difficult to take a test or do anything else when you're waiting to get in trouble. These leaders are waiting to get in big trouble. But the eye of God was upon them, and God is getting involved. So he sent his big guns of prophets, then God's getting involved. And why? So that they could not cease till a report could go to Darius. Remember, I said it was a little faster because they, they, they traveled along this road, but it was still going to be a couple weeks. God's saying, work while you have daylight. Don't focus so much on what you're afraid is going to happen. And I would say the same is true to our Christian community and us as Christians and in particular we may look down the road and think oh something rough is going to happen or or don't look too far to the future do what god calls you to do right now because god's eye is on us it's fine to be aware but not be overly focused i was in a um we talk about end times some but not that much here and i think you can get overly focused on the end times it's good to know from the scriptures, but you can spend a lot of time lining up signs and things as happening now and lose focus on the beginning. That's just one example. We need to know the scriptures, but we need to live now. This is our chance to live now. All right, Michaela. Um, so this will be the last one, okay? So um, they returned, yeah, with an answer saying, we are the servants of the God of heaven and of the earth. We are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. Remember how I talked about the pier and the pylon, you know, the, the telephone poles that go in? Two of the big poles are who is God and the sinfulness of man is another one. And in this very words, it was a bold statement because there was recognition in those days that there were local deities. 
So it would have been fine for them to say the God of this region over here because there were gods of other regions, but they don't say that. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, the whole earth, and we're rebuilding this temple. It's something that God wants done, but they recognize that human sinfulness got them to this situation, but they don't stop there. They don't stop on the sin. They recognize it, and then they trust that the eye of God is upon them. So as we as individuals, we've messed up. The older you get, the more you're going to look at, um, you know, the things you've done wrong. That's just the way it is. I went to get propane last night for the grill, and, um, and the guy helped me was maybe 17 years old, and I said, uh, what have you been up to? He goes, ah, I've been looking at my mistakes in life. You know, I'm thinking, you know, that's what he's been doing, um, just thinking about my regrets, you know, of the mistakes he's made. And, and he was being comical, but you get older and older, you have more of those things, and we can't get trapped in that. We've got to trust that God is doing something. He's doing something, moving in us. God is still at work, and he's very interested in worshiping communities and creating places where people can come and worship. So this temple is a very small building that they're building in comparison. It's not that big, but God promises to indwell it and bless it. His eye is on you. His eye is on me. Discouragement is real. It can sit us down, wipe us out, just make us feel negative. We're in a middle school cafeteria. How many of you guys went to middle school mixers? Anybody do that? They're usually in the cafeteria, and the, you would get here, and the girls in my era would be a little more into it. Where were the guys? Against the wall, talking about how lame this was or how dumb this was. But I, is that going to be us as humans? Anytime something's going on that the Lord's trying to do, new things, are we going to sit back and go, this is lame, this is dumb, it's never going to work. Who are we going to be? Who are we going to be? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the scriptures and for this um, reminder of what it means to follow you, Lord. We are supposed to create worshiping communities. That is what you desire. It's what you call this people to do. It was what you're calling us to do. Lord, help us to rejoice in it and to trust that you are with us. Lord, help us to learn to appreciate the prophets and the role they have in keeping us on track and helping us to remember what is true. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the favor that we have just in being in this school. And we thank you for the hope that we have of actually getting to build a worshiping community right across the street. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.